It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. San Osego, Ani Bojok, Tansi, and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and you could also listen on the Radio Player Canada app. If you download the app, type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM. And you could listen on the Radio Player Canada app anywhere across the country, whenever you'd like. I'd like to welcome my first guest to the show. He's uh, in from Montreal, so it's a pleasure to have him here. He is Christos Sula... Sula now, how do you say the name? The, 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 the first name was perfect. Yes. <laughs> um, in English, you'd say Surligas. Surligas, Surligas. Yes. In Greek, you'd say... Christo yeah, Christos... Soliga. 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 S is silent. Okay. Yeah, yeah, in Greek. So my first guest is Christos Soliga. He is go. the author of my Big Fat Greek Cookbook. It is full of recipes from his mother, and uh, it is in, in part paying homage to his mom and uh, the recipes that come from the old country, that, of course, country being Greece. And uh, he is from the southern part of Greece, Peloponnese area, in fact. And uh, I had the pleasure of being in the Pel Peloponnese many years ago. Right. Um, I don't remember what town I was in, right. but uh, Christos, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's and our pleasure. And, uh, uh, yeah. And they say that the Peloponnese and the Cretans are, are the more pure Greeks. That's what they say. <laughs> the Southern Greeks are the more pure Greeks. Well, Not necessarily bloodlines, mm, but mm. They, they keep on a lot of the traditions. You right. Know? Yeah. Okay. Well... Uh, I have some relatives on my wife's side. Uh, she is from the northern part of Greece. Greece. <laughs> so, Excellent. Uh, they might be listening to this, so I have to be on my toes. You know, I, I have, of course, to say uh, Yasu and welcome. Tiganis. <laughs> so, um, listen, tell me a little bit about the story behind the cookbook. Well, it started about three years ago when doctors had given my mom a short time to live. Mm. And I decided, okay, then and there, uh, I want to put together a recipe book because, you know, we're all going to pass away, mm. okay? Mm. I don't want her recipes to go away either. And I wanted someone to be able to pick up the book and 500 years from now, try her recipes, mm. right? So I started, you know, cobbling up these recipes. I'd go by the house maybe once a week, uh, once every two weeks, and sit there with my laptop, and my sister would help prepare with my mom, and sometimes my dad would pitch in, and, and I'd take the photos as well. And the idea is that it's actually just going to make maybe 100 copies. Go to a photocopy shop and mm. give them away to family and friends mm. for free. Sure. And then it just kind of snowballed. And then, you know, friends were telling me, okay, try to get, you know, or do publish, self-publishing first. And then a friend of mine who was in the book business said, no, you should go out and get an agent and publisher. And that's what I did. Agent, publisher, distributor. And here we are three years <laughs> later. It's great. And, of course, you know, you can't go wrong with uh, uh, Greek cooking, of course. Lots of people... Uh, uh, love the Greek Mediterranean style uh, 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 diet, right? That's it's very great. popular. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I remember, again, going back to uh, the time I spent in Greece, uh, especially in Athens. Uh, you walk down the street, you go into a restaurant. Uh, what's on the menu? Come on into the kitchen. Right. Oh, <laughs> right? you got that. Eh? Yeah, I did. Yeah, a lot of tourists don't actually get that. Right. And so, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And yeah, they take you in the kitchen. And if, let's say, it's a fish tavern or something, mm. they'll open up the, the, the mm. freezers or refrigerators for you. D mm. Did you experience that as well? No, it was all, it was just the, the stuff that was prepped oh, on the, on the uh, grills wow, and excellent. stuff that was ready to go. Yeah. 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 
So it was great. And, and I, I know that maybe some of that is changing. I, th- I think the other thing that has changed from uh, hearing about recent visits is uh, they used to have, they used to sell souvlaki, you know, right on the, on the street. Yeah. And they were, they were so good. I'm not sure if that is done anymore. I would probably say they stopped doing that or certain places stopped doing that because of the European Union, you know, let's mm. say health, mm. you know, right. in, you know, bylaws or right. whatnot or laws, whatever they might sure. be. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. But I remember that too growing yeah. up as a child. I'd go to Greece every summer. Yeah. I was born in Montreal. Both my mm. parents are from Greece. And I remember street vendors, kind of like you you see here in Toronto, right? Just selling souvlaki right off the street. And these things are like candy. Yeah. They oh, had a little bit of fat in them too <laughs> and every single morsel. And you eat these things and you can eat like 10 souvlaki sticks. Oh, yeah, they were they were so good. Yeah, I'm hungry. It's, it's, it's such a shame that uh, you can't do that so much anymore. But listen, so tell us. I mean, we mentioned we mentioned souvlaki on a stick. Uh, you know, tell us about some of the recipes that people are going to find in the cookbook. So... Because my parents, like most immigrants as well, they come from the mountains. Mm. So the Greeks in the diaspora didn't grow up on islands or on the coast. Mm. Because if they did, they had money. Mm. So they either had fishery industry or tourism. So it was, for the most part, it was the the, the farmers, the, what you call the peasants, mm. um, that immigrated. They're mm-hmm. the ones that were slowly starving. Mm. Uh, and they, a lot of them came... After World War II, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they brought this very simple type of cooking, which I call, you know, Greek soul food, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a lot of veggies, a lot of, you know, you know, meats and potatoes and very little fish because fish didn't, you know, you couldn't carry fish up yeah. six hour walk or a day, a day and a half walk and depending on what part of the, the, the inside of the country you lived, mm. right? So you, you, you cooked with what you had. You cooked with what you grew. You cooked with whatever livestock that you had. So Lamb. Lamb, you know, chicken, mm-hmm. you know, uh, goat. Yep. Y- you, and you never, ever, ever threw away anything. Right. You, 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 you know, an animal was sacrificed for you to eat. You ate mm-hmm. every single part of that animal mm-hmm. for the respect of the animal. Right. That's very indigenous, you know, yeah. very, very indigenous approach. Um now, uh, in terms of, uh, we mentioned, as I said, souvlaki, but, you know, um, there are lots of, well, tzatziki, of course, everyone knows right. tzatziki. Um, uh, uh, stuffed peppers? Stuffed peppers, yeah, they call them yemista, and mm. um, it's uh, stuffed, it goes beyond stuffed uh, peppers, it's stuffed tomatoes, mm. and mm-hmm. uh, aubergine, um, z- zucchinis, uh, so you, what you just simply do is you just carve them out, you keep the insides, except for the peppers, you chop them up, chop up a little bit of potatoes, some onions, some garlic, you know, a little bit of spices, um, a little bit of rice. Pop them back inside the, the vegetables. When you carve out the vegetable, you, you start from, you know, you cut the first quarter yep. of the top. Then you <laughs> stuff them back inside, put them in the oven for about an hour and a half. Uh, slice a couple of potatoes in there too. Put some tomato juice inside the mixture on top as well, some olive oil, a little salt and pepper. And, you know, you're eating this yummy food mm. that, you know, people have been eating for centuries, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to have some protein, you know, cut, cut up a little bit of meat. Usually ground beef goes well in some of those stuffed um, vegetable um, uh, meals. Yeah. Tomatas, potatas. Tomatas, patatas. <laughs> Look at this guy. He's more Greek than I am. <laughs> yeah, I've heard them all. Uh, uh, now, 
Do you guys have pasticcio? Pasticcio. Yeah. They call it the Greek, the, the Italian, the Greek lasagna. That's what mm. they call it. That's yeah, the yeah. nickname. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's somewhat similar to the lasagna, and that's made with long macaroni. Yep. Right? Yeah. And with ground beef as well, with potatoes. You know, recipes change in different regions of Greece, right? And the difference is you don't top it up with cheese like you, you do, let's say, for instance, a lasagna. It's, this is topped up with uh, like a bechamel type sauce. Mm. Yeah, like mm-hmm. a cream type sauce. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of other things that I think people are familiar with that they get as maybe appetizers. Right. The spanakopita, tiropita. Spanakopita is spinach pie. Yeah. And tiropita is a, a cheese pie. Yeah. And you can make them as full pies that you would put, let's say, in a 12-inch dish, mm. your cooking dish. Or you can make triangles. Yeah. Little little yeah. triangles that, you know, you fold them. Kind of like, you know, when you see in the movies how they fold flags, you know? Yeah, so you fold, right. you fold them in triangles. Right. Uh, fill a pastry, you cut them in long, you fill them with either the cheese or the spinach mixture and just fold them, lather it up with some olive oil or some butter, put them in the oven, and yeah. And you can, and those are great because... The light bites you can add them even for breakfast with yogurt. Mm. Um, for the cheese pie, for instance, you can drizzle like honey on top with some sesame. You can dip it in some hot chocolate or something like that. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, not hot chocolate as a drink, but like you know, like um, oh right, like a like a like, like a, a what do you call fondue it? almost like a fondue yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm. Oh, you're making me hungry. Yeah, I'm hungry right now. <laughs> I'm just making this stuff up as well right now. To be honest with you. So listen, we mentioned that it was to to honor your mom. Uh, what did you think about this when when you got it all put together? She's she's very proud of us because it was my sister helped out, my dad helped out, and it was a family project. And mm. you know, I, I made this as a tribute to my mom um, for for all the sacrifices she made. You know, bringing us up mm. because you know my parents are old school and they didn't grow up saying I love you all the time. And mm-hmm. the way they said I love mm-hmm. you was by feeding us and feeding mm-hmm. us these very right. healthy meals, right? Yeah. And there was never junk food in the house. There was mm. never potato chips or Coca-Cola yeah. unless it was a birthday party or something, right? right? All the desserts from scratch, a quarter of the the, the the meals, the recipes in this cookbook are actually desserts because my mom's got a sweet tooth, mm. right? Mm. Everything from scratch, three meals a day, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so she's she's very proud of, of the book and she asks about sales every, every other day. <laughs> uh, but then I've also just recently realized that I didn't make it just for my mom or as a tribute to my family, it, just a few days ago, I, I realized that I've made it for every other mom out there who who doesn't have or didn't have all the advantages mm. of many other moms out there who, you know, did what they could the best they can to, you know, take care of the kids. And it, and it starts with feeding their bellies because mm. with that, you're feeding the soul and the spirit and all that kind of stuff. And this is a tribute to all the moms out there. You know, who've sacrificed a and lot, you know, you know. And you know, uh, those those recipes that you're you're speaking about, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because they're so simple, but they are. They they fill you. They taste wonderful. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's because they're they're made with love. You know, they're that made old with thing. love. Thank yeah. you for saying that. That's exactly. It just took the words from my mouth. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now you mentioned sweet tooth baklava. There's no baklava in this. No, not in the... Okay. No, my mom didn't need to make baklava. Okay. The thing is, every single recipe in this book is what she made us for kids. Yes. I'm the youngest kid yep. growing up. There's not one recipe that we have omitted, and there's not one added recipe that she didn't make for us. 
and there's about 65 65 so? that's correct yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what what have you been hearing back uh, since it's been out what kind of response are you getting you know I've done four book signings in Montreal uh, I'm doing a book signing here in Toronto next week Tuesday November 26 at Type Books on Queen West and I'm hoping we're going to get a lot of people out there uh, people are loving the book. People are posting on Facebook. You know, y- you can check out the Facebook page, my Big Fat Greek Cookbook. It's a group <laughs> page. You know, sign on, look at some recipes. If you do buy the book, uh, make some recipes. Please post them. Uh, I want people's feedback. Uh, people are buying the book. People are sending me photos of the recipes that they've made, you know? That's great to hear. Yeah. And of course, uh, I guess to some degree, you, you couldn't help but take advantage of the, uh, my big fat Greek cookbook book, book after the film has right. such yeah, yeah. success, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, actually. I, that wasn't the f- my first idea for the title. Mm. It's something that my agent mm. uh, decided upon mm. and the publisher afterwards. Right. Uh, it, listen, it rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it does. It's easy. It's when great. you're walking through... Um, you know, a bookstore, and you see that, you're going to stop and take a look at it. That for, for sure. The original title was Olive My Life. Ah. You know, to ah, kind of, good. you, know, you can pay good. homage to my mom. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's nice. That's yeah. great. Well, listen, uh, your mom is still with us. She's okay? She is, yeah, she's at a rehab center right now. Okay. So she did have a, a, a surgery that saved her life. She had a heart mm. surgery oh, that great. was like a miraculous heart surgery. That's great to hear. Yeah, yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, we don't have much time left, but you know, you're not a stranger to media. No. <laughs> no. You, you, you're a filmmaker. You That's do correct. a bunch of different things. And I, I think one of the things that really, uh, that really caught my eye was that uh, you, you give back. You're involved with some, some nonprofit organizations and, and specifically helping women with recipes it and, and re- making, it, help, helping to grow food. Yeah. It's a friend of mine who's uh, based out of Quebec, um, Jonathan Ellison, is a sweet man. He, he creates these uh, little micro farms in, mm-hmm. in Africa. Yeah. Uh, that are f- completely self-sustainable um, and is, you know, in a lot of these countries, um, it's difficult for a woman to actually own land. Mm. And so what he does is he gets the elders and the tribes and the local governments to be able to donate the land first to the women. And it's actually in the ownership of the women That's that are right. involved with that farming. And they're very short, small um, plots of land, only five acres square. Mm. And uh, uh, they're not you know, water pumped by hand. Right. It's solar paneled. It's yeah. like, it makes them very self-efficient. And and what they do is they keep the money amongst themselves and then they actually learn how to actually even invest within the community. Uh, you know, micro-investment too. So it's not just investing with just the food. So the idea is that a lot of what they grow, uh, you know, comes back in different types of returns as well. Mm. Yeah, Water for Women is called. In, That's great in Africa. Well, congratulations on yeah. that uh, as well. Um, so people can find the book where uh, in any large bookstore. Uh, they can find it on Indigo.ca, Amazon.ca. Um, that's it. Yeah, and um, you know, choose it. Door twenty six. Come to the books signing six thirty. I think it's eight eight three Queen West. Type books. Okay, that's great. I was just going to reiterate that uh, very point for your uh, for your book signing that will be taking place in Toronto at Type Books, November twenty sixth, as you say, about six thirty p.m. Tuesday, November twenty sixth, Type Books, and uh, that's a hardcover, and people can pick up a hardcover book. Is it so- soft and hardcover book no, available? Only hard, and only you can buy the, like uh, I guess the e version, whatever it's mm. called, the ebook. Or, right. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. Uh, but I'll be there at the book signing, so come, bring your friends. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go for all, drinks after that. And um, 
it's wonderful that you did this. It's wonderful to pay homage. It's great food, of course. Okay. And uh, you're very sweet. Thank you so much. Yeah, and and all the best to your mom and yeah. your family. So yeah, you uh, too. I just want to say again, Echaristo uh, for coming in. Para nice calor. Yeah. So uh, again, we thank you for coming in and sharing this about your uh, big fat Greek cookbook that's out there. And we wish you all the best with that and the other endeavors you're involved with. Yes, I want to come back to the show, please. Love to have you. Yeah. Maybe you could bring a meal or two next I'll time. I'll bring a meal and <laughs> we'll talk about other stuff beyond just the cookbook. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, so my guest has been uh, Christos Suliga. 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 Voilà. Yeah. And he is from uh, the southern part of Greece originally, living in Montreal, the uh, Arcadia part of Greece, which is part of the Peloponnese. Uh, a lovely part of the country, and as I say, I don't remember where I, where I stayed. It was it was actually at a hostel when I was okay. traveling around. Right, and um, I remember they took us to uh, an open amphitheater. Does that sound familiar? Epidavros, and you probably stayed in uh, Nafplio. I think so. yes, Nafplio, right. which yeah. is a beautiful old Venetian town, and that yep. was actually the first capital of Greece after its independence from the Ottoman Empire. Mm. Almost 200 years ago. Mm. Gorgeous town. And I can tell you that the young lady who picked us up and met us to take okay. us to the, the hostel yeah. uh, spoke about five languages and yeah. all of them just was going back and forth between different languages. It was amazing how, how well she spoke all these yeah, languages. Yeah, educated people in oh, Greece yeah. speak five to seven languages because yeah. they got no choice of because course. the thing is only 10 million Greeks yeah. and you have hundreds of millions of other Europeans. So... You know, they're merchants. Greeks are traders, you know. Mm. They've been seafarers for thousands of years. So they travel. They have to leave their country to do business, right? Yeah. So they have no choice to learn other languages. Christos, once again, Haristo uh, for coming in. We appreciate you taking the time to do so. We know you're really busy. Once again, people, if you want to go check out the book uh, the, the, the uh, book signing, it's November 26th at Type Books in Toronto around 6.30 p.m. You can get a signed copy of the book with these wonderful Greek uh, meals in there, paying homage to uh, Christos's mother. Thank you, sir. Our pleasure. And uh, don't go away. We will be right back on Moment of Truth. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. I'm your host, David Moses. I'd like to welcome a couple of people to the second part of the show. In the studio with me is Louis March. He is the founder of Zero Gun Violence. Also, Sitting next to him is Danny Stone. He's an author of You Have the Keys, Now Drive. Um, so a little bit uh, about that. So, so Louis started uh, uh, Zero Gun Violence in June of 2013 um, to eliminate gun violence in the city of Toronto. Danny, uh, he went from the inner city to the outer world. He's transformed his life uh, from growing up in the inner city, surrounded by drugs, crime, and violence, to now an author, a speaker, and a coach and a personal development teacher. So, guys, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Gun violence. Uh, it's an issue everywhere. Uh, Toronto certainly has seen an increase in this. Uh, it's not decreasing. It's getting worse. Um, can I ask you, Louis, what, what particularly got your interest in wanting to do something about that? The gun violence situation is getting worse mm. because we're not addressing it in a meaningful way. Mm. Our political leaders are treating it like hot, a hot potato. Nobody wants to address it because they think the solution is so complicated. Mm. We work with the mothers who have lost children to gun violence. Their pain, their agony, their trauma will never stop. When you've got two children 
and both of them are dead to gun violence, we got a problem. What do you live for? Right? So we see that part. We also work with those people that have been engaged in, in criminal activity, gun activity. People that have done the crime, done the time, and want to make a difference. And when we bring them to the table, the, what they talk about in terms of what we could have done to prevent it is not as difficult as people are making it out to be. Mm. So we said, what is our objective here? So I went and I said, zero gun violence. And everybody thought that was ridiculous. You can't have zero gun violence in the city of Toronto. And I said, hell no, we already have it. But we only have it in certain parts of the city for certain people. And what are we doing to close the gap? And when we took a, a scan of what was going on, nobody was doing anything to address it. They, mm. There seemed to be a tolerance and acceptance for violence in certain communities and violence not accepted in other communities. And so zero, zero gun violence movement is about calling it out, saying this is, this is the reality and something has to be done. So we started out really as a 90-day campaign mm. to address this, a summer campaign in 2013. But on day 91, we said, what are we going to do, close up shop? Mm. Right? No, we have to double our efforts. We need to amplify our efforts mm. and continue this. So six years later, we've expanded in scope mm. and understanding of the problem and the desire to get to zero gun violence. So uh, first question that comes to mind is, what did people say when you came back with that statement? Well, about they thought it was crazy. They thought no, it was but, when, but when you said, when you said, hey, what are you talking about? There already is zero gun violence uh-huh. in certain areas. So How did they, what did they come was, back with? The this? initial response was, did you take your medication today? <laughs> 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 and then when I came back with that, the room became quiet. Mm. I said, hold on a second. He's onto something. Why, why, why do we accept it? Why, do we, mm. why is this the status quo? And then that's why we started challenging people. What are you doing to close the gap? Mm. And nobody could say anything tangible. It seemed to be a tolerance and acceptance that some people in our city, this great city of Toronto, can live in peace and harmony and no fear of violence, and people in another part of the city, the opposite. I'm saying something's wrong here. Mm. So uh, the other thing that, that comes to mind is when you said this 90-day trial and you got to day 91, and then what do we do? Can you remember if there was any, any things that happened within that three-month period, that 90 days, that made you also say, hey, we can't just end this now? I think it was an awareness of the depth and magnitude of the problem mm. and what it needed mm. Uh to resolve it, to close that gap. Mm. So on day 91, we said, we've got more work to do. Mm. And as you lifted up one layer, you saw another layer. Yeah. And then there was another layer. Sure. So 90 Day was not going to do justice to this in any way, shape, or form. Right. Even though that was the initial objective. Yeah. But to get to zero, it's a comprehensive, sustainable effort mm. from all society. And it was missing. Yeah. So now our commitment is to get into zero gun violence by, first of all, acknowledging the magnitude and depth of the problem, but also trying to tell people that we can do this. Magnitude and depth of the problem that you mentioned and the peeling back layers as well. Now, you're, you're how many years into this? Six years plus. So obviously, not only has what you have started grown, but obviously you've seen some positive results. There's many organizations that are now joined with you to... Yeah, we, we started off with seven organizations. Yeah. Now we're over 40. And if I do another count, there's going to be maybe over 50 now that we work with. And, and what are those organizations saying 
in, in terms of coming on and joining you with this effort? First of all, they're buying into the idea of zero gun violence as an ambitious and bold objective. What can we do to contribute? It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. And there's 50 pieces of the puzzle. And everybody thinks their piece is the important piece. Sure. And I'm saying, no. Your piece means nothing if I can't put it on the table and make the connections to complete the puzzle. So everybody now is seeing their role as, we're going to focus on this. And you're going to focus on this. And then we bring those pieces together so that we can have the real solution to this issue. And it's not as difficult as people are making it out to be, right? And that Danny, who I work with mm -hmm. from the corporate world, uh, he's, he, he does work with in terms of goal setting. He does work in terms of uh, challenging people to take charge of their lives, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The first word in community safety is, is not police, it's not politicians. It's community. Oh, yeah, okay. And how do we get the community to become part of the solution and stop depending on government and police? And it's about your personal investment in, in your community. And this is why Danny's work is so important to us, right? Because there's so many pieces of this puzzle, David, mm -hmm. there's so many pieces of this puzzle that are missing. They're not on the table. So that means that we have to work harder. So these puzzle pieces that you say are missing, uh, are they identifiable to you now? Can you see them? Yes, we have a better understanding, a clarity, mm -hmm. right, of who's not there. Okay. And what needs to be done. But when we started, we didn't have that understanding, mm -hmm. right? So We thought so, it was just getting rid of the guns off the street and the problem would go away. Right. That's not the solution. Mm. It's not the solution. It can be part of the solution, mm -hmm. But nobody's born with a gun in their hand. Right. And nobody's born saying, oh, guess what? I'm going to be a drug dealer. I'm going to be a gun runner. Mm. Right? No one's born that way. There's a sequence of circumstances that happen that create an environment where violence becomes sometimes the only option to survive. Mm. And people don't want to hear that. Right. So <laughs> part of our challenge is delivering a message that people do not want to listen to. Right. Because if you listen to what we're saying... It's pointing the fingers somewhere else. Mm. Yeah, okay. So I can see how that would be tough for certain people mm -hmm. uh, if you're so, pointing so, so, the fingers so somewhere just, else. So they just go some. They, they don't want to be at the table. Mm. So they're so turning their back it. on the issue. Yeah, and of course. Away. And then we act surprised when the violence takes place. Right. Dan, you're, you're sitting there. You're nodding in, in <laughs> agreement with <laughs> Louis. Uh, but, but it sounds like you want to input something here. What, what's your take? Well, I, I agree. I think, you know, I, I grew up in a community where, in, where there wasn't a lot of hope. Mm. And when you have people who feel like they've been neglected from society, from the government, where the school system is failing them, um, what, is it, what, what does that lead to, right? You wake up every day. You don't, you don't think that people care about you. You don't think society cares about you. You're, you don't have a lot of guidance and mentorship. And, and that leads to you going astray. And it takes a lot for an individual to fight that off every day. It takes a lot for someone to say, I'm going to do the right thing and go to school every day and find a good job. Sure. Even though you've been you know, trying to find a great job for how long and you keep getting knocked down. Uh, so it, it takes a lot for you to, to kind of fight against that. You know, you, you just talked about a couple of things there. Guidance, per, you know, finding guidance, someone to help. Uh, but you also mentioned social pressures and I think that it goes back to maybe something Louis was, was getting at. 
Um, and that's uh, uh, the other social uh, side of things, how our social media plays a role in, in, in role models, in, in, in sort of making the, glorifying these kind of role models and those kind of things. You guys want to touch on that at all? So when we look at gun violence, the dynamics and texture of the violence has changed over the last five, ten years significantly. The gun violence that we saw in 2005 when we had 52 homicides due to gun violence in the city of Toronto, we called it the year of the gun. Last year we had 51. But in between those two years, we had a dramatic decline. In 2013, when we had 22 homicides, cut in half, right? But then after 2013, we saw the trending back up to 51, mm -hmm. right? And we saw the lack of leadership courage at the political level to address it, mm. right? Uh, what has changed with gun violence? And one of the big factors here is the, the, the influence of social media. Yeah. Yeah. Access to guns is number one. In 2005, there used to be one and two guns in a community that used to be shared, borrowed, or rented. Mm. Today, some of the kids have one and two guns themselves. And I'm not talking handguns. I'm talking semi-automatics. Mm. The shooting that we had in Malton was seven young people yeah. with semi-automatic guns, mm. right? Over 130 shots fired that day mm. over a 12-minute period of time. Mm. We never saw that in 2005. Mm. Mm. So access to guns, the willingness to use it, the mm -hmm. caliber of guns, right. the age of the people using the guns. In 2005, it used to be like the mid-20s. Right. And it was sort of regulated by gang leaders or whatever, whatever. No, there's no regulation, right? And there's a brazenness in the shootings. Mm. In broad daylight, mm -hmm. a playground with 11 children there, mm. and you going in there with a gun and trying to shoot right. the one person that you have an issue with. with we never saw that before. Right. Yorkdale Mall, while well, everybody's shopping. Queen Street, on a Saturday afternoon, with everybody shopping on a nice day with three shopping bags, ice cream in one hand, everybody's having a good time, and there's gunplay right on Queen Street. The Danford, Friday night, everybody out celebrating. Yeah. We never saw that type of shooting in 2005. Right. But the big factor here is social media, yeah. right? And how that drives this now. We don't even call it social media anymore. We call it forever media. Mm. Right. Because you can threaten, boast, a brag, and that was the seeds of what we saw in Malton, social media, right? So are we now recognizing how has this changed and how has our response changed? Our response has not changed at all. Right. We're still playing the cards that we played 15, 20 years ago. We have a premiere that says, oh, I'm from the old school. I believe in having more boots on the ground. Mm. So he takes $25 million out of after-school programming mm -hmm. for young people. Right. And he gives it to the police. Right. And the police says, well, excuse me, like I can't police myself out of the problem mm. by myself. Mm -hmm. So we have leaders at that level <laughs> that are spending money designing programs by, fun by funding or not funding, right? That does not match what's going on. Do you feel they are their political moves? In other words, um, they are just there to make it look like they're trying to do something because they don't know what else to do. Well, 
I mean, if you don't know what to do, ask people. Right? <laughs> good, right? Okay, good, I can't, good point. I can't tell you what you want. And are they? That's the, the next question. I mean, is, you're not they? seeing them in the communities. You're mm-hmm. not, you, you know, here's the thing about what's happening in the city. It's not an individual problem. You know, the city can't solve the problem. The police can't solve the problem. Toronto community housing, where a lot of crimes occur, can't solve the problem mm-hmm. as individuals. Right. So when you, you have to come together. You have to come together in the place places where these things are happening. Mm. And and we're not. It's like everybody is doing their own individual thing, telling people what they need. Or we have the solution is is um, you know, policing our way out of the problem. Uh, this is the solution is giving more money to Toronto community housing. Mm. You have to come together. We can each do our piece at all levels of government, the police, Toronto community housing, social services, but we need to come together. And we've never had a forum here in the city on gun violence where we've come together as a as a province or even as a country, right? It's not just a, a Toronto problem. Mm-hmm. Gun violence is a Canada Canada wide problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why haven't we had a gun a, a forum on gun violence um, here in Toronto or somewhere else mm-hmm. that uh, was representatives of all of all level of government, of police, community services, community agencies? So you mentioned a couple of things there. You talk about Toronto. Uh, of course, the mayor of Toronto is wanting to put a handgun ban in the city. Uh, when you hear things like that, what, what does it? What does that tell you uh, in terms of wh- what they're thinking? What if their thinking is on the right path? Uh, what does it say? Look, the mayor of Toronto, John Tory, with all respect, due respect. He's a politician's politician. He's experienced at talking to you for two hours and not saying anything. Uh, every photo opportunity where it's going to add value to his image, he will be there. He's good at that. Mm. But he's a salesman. Mm. That's his profession. Right. He's a salesman. And he's selling the federal government and the provincial government that banning guns is going to solve the problem. When he knows... That is not. He's deflecting the effort from the social economics mm. to a gun problem. We work with the people that have been responsible for the criminal activity in the city. People that have done the crime, done the time, and want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they talk about their gun supply. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get the guns regardless. Right. We have the largest right. border, I think it's 8,000 kilometers, mm. with the biggest. <laughs> Gun manufacturer in the world. Right. That's right. Right? <laughs> That's right. Right? What are we going to do? Build a wall between Canada and the USA and ask Trump to pay for it? Don't say that. Don't oh, say no, that. no. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot ban the guns. You might give him some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> David, David, David. You're supposed to be helping me here. <laughs> Look, talking about banning guns mm. is not going to get out of the starting line. It's a federal issue. We can do better at the border to stop the guns from coming in. Focus on that. Mm-hmm. But there's socioeconomic conditions. Mm-hmm. When somebody says it's easier to get a gun than a job, we yeah. got a problem. For sure. Right? We don't send somebody to school for how many years to become gang members. We want them to become contributing members to society through healthy jobs, healthy living, right? So our society can get better. Mm-hmm. Talking about man and guns, gives the impression that we're doing something because there's a level of fear and despair in the city of Toronto Mm -hmm. when it comes to gun violence now that we've never seen before. 
two million people celebrating the Raptors championship victory went there with smiles on their faces. But they ran away with fear and despair mm. because gun violence was taking place. Mm. They've never seen that before. Right. In certain communities, that's normalized. Right. But we've never seen it on that scale. So the public now is saying, what are you doing about it? Mm. So the quick uh, reactionary response is, well, we're going to ban handguns. Right. Mm. But we're not going to deal with the underlying causes right, of poverty. If you're going to be talking about banning guns, talk about banning poverty. Right, right. Yeah. 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 And he's not even gone there. Right. We know that the, the poverty gap is increasing. Right. The safety net that we normally have to help those people that fall between the cracks, that safety net has cracks now itself. Right. Sure. Right? It's not there. Mm. So a lot of people in certain communities in our city live in fear and despair 24-7. Has anybody addressed those issues? Mm-hmm. No. Right? We have a mayor, when he was running for mayor the last term, he said, if I become mayor, I will match the $25 million that the province was going to give to the police. But he said out of that $25 million, one-third would go to the police, two-thirds would go towards investing in community, investing in families, and investing in children, youth, or kids, I think he said, right? We have not seen one red cent of that money. Mm. But we've seen money pouring over into the policing side right. mm. from the feds, $54 million three weeks ago, right? Uh, we had the $25 million that our premier took from the after-school programs and gave it to the police who said, well, we can't uh, police ourselves out of this problem. We need help. We have the mayor that's still running around trying to find $1.5 million that he committed that has not even been approved by his council. Something smells. So have you, over, over the time that you've been working on this, have you uh, approached the mayor? Have you had any meetings with him or, or with anyone from the city? We've not approached the mayor directly. But through his staff, we've said, as Danny alluded to, let's bring all the key stakeholders to the table. Stop talking about mm-hmm. the violence of 20 years ago right. or 15 years ago. Let's bring the key stakeholders the three levels of government, for sure. Mm, right. Policing, corrections, housing, employers. The top 15 employers in the city of Toronto will not hire anybody with a criminal record. Mm. Right? Mm. So for these people that have a criminal record, is there a way out for them? Mm. No. Right. Let's bring all these keys. Let's bring the social media experts to the table. Let's flip these things around so that they contribute to making our city safer. And understand and, what the real challenges are. What the real problem is, the real challenges so that we can come up with a strategic action plan. Mm-hmm. I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm not right. a brain surgeon. Right. Mm. Why is this so difficult? Why are you coming up with prescriptions, right, without doing the descriptive work, by asking the people involved? He is a politician's politician. He is good at what he does. You mean to say Toronto in 2019, one of the most internationally acclaimed cities in the world, if they do a survey about safety, education, healthcare, and stuff, and we're not in there? In the top 10, we're surprised. We have the resources and means, and we have not applied them to solve this issue. So why are we acting as though we're surprised? You know, the, the, the idea that you mentioned a little earlier on um, about this normalization of handguns for some communities and some people, and youth specifically, living under the threat of this and feeling that way, that it's becoming normalized. Um, 
I mean, that that sounds like a, like something that that should be a trigger for wanting to take action because what what does that do? As you guys brought up earlier about these, you know, along with these other things, what does that do to a person being raised in that kind of a of an environment? You know, that changes their thinking. What does that do to well, their? You become hardened, right? Like yeah. if you don't love yourself, right? How can you turn to somebody else and care about their well-being, mm-hmm. right? So then you become this this hardened person. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know I remember growing up and and you know when we were young and and there were people who lived in my community who it was a mathematical equation for the crime that they did. So they figured if I do this crime, I'm only going to do this amount of time because I'm only 16. Mm-hmm. I'm only 15. Mm-hmm. Like they're removed emotionally. That that yeah. they, there's no there's no understanding of of love and respect and care for anybody else. Cause you, you're in this environment around people who are just really hardened because of life and the, the cards that they've been dealt. Right. So you can't look at somebody else in a, a different neighborhood and see them as a person. You just see them as somebody who's threatening you, what you're trying to do, uh, your community. And with the taunting of using social media, I mean, that's a whole other angle, you know, telling people and, and boasting about, I just shot up somebody in your neighborhood. Mm. There has to be a response now. Mm-hmm. on this forever media mm-hmm. you have this pressure from you know people in your neighborhood maybe you're in a gang uh, people on social media saying you can't allow that to happen mm-hmm. right yeah so people are seeing having a gun and being violent as their ticket for survival right we can't flip that around we can't give them a job and hope beside joining a gang and getting violent like if you talk to these people about what does your future look like for you right if I speak to certain people on the street, they will talk about an RRSP. They will talk about 30 years down the line, 40 years down the line. When you talk to this population, mm. their future is today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. And that's all they see. Mm-hmm. So what can I get today? And what's the best way to achieve it? But when you see your peers running around, flashing jewelry, clothing, food, girls, mm-hmm. I'm going to join that. Because I see that as a viable option, right? They don't care about that long-term plan. Mm-hmm. No. How do we change that? But of, how, do, how do the risks get viewed, though? Or are they even thought about? No. They don't yeah, think about that. Look, there's one kid, he's 15 years old. He says to me, he fears living more than he fears dying. Mm. 15. Mm. To me, he's still in diapers. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know anything about living. Right. But his everyday living... It's so horrendous yep. that if death comes to him, it's a welcome. Right. Mm-hmm. Think of that mindset. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's why I was asking the question. Yeah. Exactly why I was asking. And how did it happen? Mm-hmm. And why are we ignoring it? Mm-hmm. Right? Why are we not bringing the stakeholders together and saying this is serious? Mm-hmm. How many more people need to die? Mm-hmm. How many more blood needs to run on the streets of Toronto before our politicians wake up? Now that mindset you just, you just mentioned. Um, is is exactly kind of what I was trying to get at because if you're going to bring the stakeholders together and you're going to bring people to sit at the table, whether it's the police or housing or politicians, don't you think first they need to have a very strong understanding of that mindset from which they are trying to get into? Well, they would be part of the stakeholders at the table, right? So because, <laughs> we would ask some it, of those young people. What I'm saying is yeah. because a politician, do you think they're going to understand that mindset? I don't they're know. They're going to wake up. 
They've got to wait. How much more blood needs to run in this? Right. We work with the mothers who have lost children to gun violence, right? right? And we see the fear and despair yep. right. 24-7. How many of them are suicidal? How many of them have given up on life? These are people that deserve a better faith. We had 51 homicides last year to gun violence in the city of Toronto. How many of them could have been prevented if the politicians did what they were supposed to do? And they're not doing it. Mm. And, and people aren't born with a gun. You have to hear the stories, right? Like, we went up to Ottawa and we spoke to six or seven members of parliament mm -hmm. and we brought a bunch of community workers and, and some members of zero gun violence. And we brought five or six mothers who lost kids to gun violence I'm glad you in a room that. with seven politicians. Yeah. And guess what? Every single one of them told the story of how their son lost their life. We looked around the room. I don't think there was a dry eye in the room. Mm. And so, when we're talking about bringing people together, you're talking about politicians and, and people who, and police who are far removed from living in these communities mm. and experiencing what some of these mothers have experienced. Mm -hmm. And you're bringing them to people who've experienced, who grew up in these environments. They're hearing the stories directly from these mothers. And there's an assumption that, you know, because somebody's lost their life to gun violence, well, maybe they deserved it. One of the mother's sons was breaking up a fight at Young and Bloor. Right. So there's all these misconceptions about gun violence when you don't live in you live in a nice neighborhood and you don't have to worry about it. You can. It's easy to make an assumption about why that person got shot. Oh, they were probably in a gang or they probably did something or maybe that was retaliation. But when you hear a story from a mother or the people who are affected in those communities who are saying, well, my son wasn't like that or if he was involved in something what did it take to get him to that point you have to understand that mm -hmm. you can't make decisions about people's livelihoods and their life and their communities if you don't understand the people growing up in those neighborhoods dan i'm really really happy you talked about the mothers because i was going to ask you about the mothers and and sharing the stories about the youth and getting that story out there uh because i think that's a that's a direct link uh, that that you just you know you just talked about. So I'm glad you mentioned that story about going up to Ottawa and, and bringing this this forward. Um, I just want to interject that you're listening to uh, Element FM, and uh, this is Moment of Truth. I'm your host David Moses. My guests in on the program right now are Louis March. He's the founder of Zero Gun Violence, and also with him is Danny Stone, and he is the author of You Have the Keys Now Drive. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Moment of Truth and Element FM. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guests in on the program right now are Louis March. He's the founder of Zero Gun Violence. And also with him is Danny Stone, and he is the author of You Have the Keys, Now Drive. And uh, you just heard a very impassioned uh, 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 presentation by Danny about what they did with going to try to uh, get people uh, more aware of this, try to do something about it. And um, Louis, earlier on in the conversation, talked about that there is not just one piece of this puzzle that can solve it. It is a puzzle, and the pieces have to come together. I think that's a really, really nice way of describing it. And, and that you've, you've been doing this now for a number of years, about six years, and you're, you're able to identify, and you've got some of these pieces that have now been brought to put this puzzle together, but there are still some pieces missing. And... Uh, what do you see for moving forward? What what do you hope for the future in terms of trying to do more? David, uh, it, it's hurt. It hurts because it doesn't have to be this bad. Mm. It's this way because of neglect of the young people 
the communities, right, neglect of the political leaders that we entrust to make our cities safe, not for some, but for all, right? And the solution to it, start off with bringing everybody together. They might not like each other, but when you put them at the table and you say, look, we need to get to zero gun violence and make everybody feel safe in our city, people rise to the occasion. They do, right? Hmm. Bring them to the table and says, this is the, what we're looking for. How do we get there, right? Not as passengers, this is what Dan is, as drivers. <laughs> <laughs> as drivers. Mm. Those people that have been responsible for the violence, have done their crime, done their time, and want to make a difference. They must have a seat there. The police must have a seat there. The employers must have a seat there. The media, traditional media, must have a seat there because the media tells the story. Right? Bring the mothers to the table. Listen to what they have to say. Right? Bring the students, bring the young people mm. to the table. These are not your normal people that you're going to find in the mayor's office having a discussion. We need to change the way we, we deal with this. Mm. The magnitude, the impact is devastating. The carnage we see on the streets on a daily basis. Don't ever ask me how am I feeling because my response is going to be, what do you want, the good, the bad, or the ugly? Mm. Because that's what I see on a daily basis. Mm. So there's no one word that's going to describe how I feel, right? Because we see incredible people doing incredible work. Mm. And it could be worse if these people are not doing what they're doing. That's true. Right? Uh, nobody that works with Zero Gun Violence Movement gets paid. Mm. Right? We all do it because of our passion mm -hmm. and our investment in making our city safe, not for some, but for all. Right? We don't have all the pieces at the table. And this is where our political leaders have dropped the ball. Make it happen, and you'll be surprised that the solution that they come up with is not as difficult as it's people not, are making it out not, to be. It's not. We talk about this all the time. It's simple things, you know, um, restoring, well, making sure that you have uh, good education. They're all, they're, all the, they're all the things that we as Canadians expect, you know, to go to a school, to get a good education, to have access to various services and programs, right? You know, a lot of these kids are going to school hungry. They don't even eat breakfast. Right. And you're talking about giving police more more money to police the police their way out of the program. Mm. Now, if you want to talk about police, when you know what was working in the past, community policing, mm. they had community programs, after school programs, basketball programs. Why is the solution to put more police on the street and to cut down the after school programs? Why is the school closed at three thirty? Mm. A school is a community hub. Right. Why do you shut it down at three thirty when you know the young people need it the most? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we need some courageous, innovative responses, right, to this issue. Mm. I don't need more blood on the streets right. to be so, able to deliver this message. So I don't know if you guys want to uh, talk about this at all in terms of where we are at the moment. Are you are you approaching you know people uh, at a level that that you can hopefully try to get some change happening? The thing with the zero gun violence movement. We have a, a, a network of people. Mm -hmm. Some of them work in the government. Mm -hmm. Some of them work in the schools. Mm -hmm. Some of them are coming out from being incarcerated. Some of them. We have a network, right? After we left Ottawa, and we took some of the mothers, and we took a couple of gang people with us too, mm -hmm. the feds came up with 320-something million dollars, 328 million. But most of this was about border control, security, RCMP, mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. Not community investments, right? 
Then we had uh, the province, the premier, when he became premier, I'm going to take 25 million out of after school programming mm. and we're going to do it. And then we had the mayor that says he would match it, but we have not seen one red cent that has gone towards investing in communities that he said he would do. Right. So there's a lot of disconnects at that political level. We're, and we're not seeing the leadership mm. necessary to bring this all together and look at this properly. So when you speak to me about banning guns as a solution, I know that you do not have an idea of what's really going on. Because, as I said, we have the largest border. Guns are going to come across. You can't mm. stop them all. Mm. But when there's a violence in your community, there's a demand to protect yourself. There's a demand for guns. If there's a demand for a product, a supply will... It's basic economics. Mm -hmm. yep. You can buy a gun for $250 in the States and sell it up here for 2000 Right? There's a demand for it. Why not take the risk? Mm. We, had a t we had a radio announcer that wanted to test this thing about how easy it was to get a gun. Mm. Within five hours after putting the word on the street, someone showed up in the back of a car with five guns that he could sell him. Variety and choice. Different prices. That's how easy it is. Mm. Yes, we want to get those guns off the street, but we want to deal with it. That's why I say you cannot talk about banning guns if you're not going to be talking about banning poverty. Right. So right. moving forward, where do we go with this? Mm. We have to get away from this polarization and politicizing mm. of this. We mm. have to stop it. Mm -hmm. right? We have to get down to the nuts and bolts. Mm -hmm. We don't even talk about the roots of gun violence anymore. Right. We talk about the seeds. Where does it really start? And why are we still planting those seeds mm. and nurturing them? Because sometimes when it gets to the roots, it's too late. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Right? Mm -hmm. So we need a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, I was speaking to Daniel on our way here today, and I said, look, the gun violence that we're seeing right now is actually a report card on what we failed at yesterday. Yep. Yep. And Daniel was going through everything one yeah. by one, and he was putting an F beside it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Is that the best that we can do? Toronto is an internationally world-class city, mm -hmm. right? We have First Nation communities where they can't even get clean, safe water. This is Canada this we're Canada. talking about. Canada. Certain people are neglected and left behind. And certain people are put in the front. Until those people that are impacted by it, right, rise up and demand a better right. country, a better province, a better city, the politicians will run with what is most valuable to them at that time. Mm -hmm. So all these promises, every day there's a promise. Has anybody mm -hmm. spoken about gun violence? They don't talk about it. Trudeau came and he spoke about you know, banning the AR-15s and stuff, the assault mm -hmm. rifles. Right. In New Zealand, it took them four days to pass that. Hmm. It took us four years. Right. We got a problem. Mm. We didn't talk about banning handguns. We're going to have, a, we're going to pass it over to the province and the municipalities to work out how best they want to deal with it. How many cities do we have in Canada? Is everybody going to have their own plan? Mm. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And I think before you even talk about banning handguns, you have to do, like you said, your your, your analysis and your diagnosis. What the, the the shootings that are happening, and the, the 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 murders and everything that's happening, are those legal guns or are those illegal guns? So why ask yourself that question? You're saying that they're legal weapons. Do you know that for a fact? Mm. So to come out and say we're just going to ban AR-15. You're not even getting to the root of the right. problem and where they're coming from. Right. Ask that question first. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, it's very political. Yep. But we're seeing 
the carnage on the streets. Mm -hmm. We're seeing the people. There's a program on TV called The Walking Dead, right? You know, I don't watch it, right? Mm. But I just like the title <laughs> mm. because there's a lot of people in our city that have given up on life. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're young. Th these are the people that we are entrusted to prepare mm. the future for. Mm. And this is the best that we're given to them. They're walking around with this despair. So when they pull the trigger, right, who's really pulling that trigger? Mm. Is it them or it is us? Good question. And, and, and I think the other thing is, you know, there's uh, a lot of these communities have uh, youth action committees, which are young people in those neighborhoods who've gotten together, formed their own co committee and communities and to do good work in their communities. So we need to lift up young people who are trying to better themselves and better their communities. You know, I, I, it, there was an event that they had for them at City Hall a few months ago where I was invited to go and speak. And I think there was 250 young people from, I think there's 54 communities or more that have youth action committees, right? So why aren't we hearing about that? Why aren't we supporting them more, right? We can't, have, we can't be having pockets of people doing great work and, and nobody knows about it and them right. not being supported, right. working That's, in isolation. Yeah. yeah, it's very disheartening for those people. We, we can do better. David, yeah. when we look at the solutions... It's about caring and loving again. Mm. Not caring and loving for selected people. <laughs> right. Care and loving sure. for everybody. We need to give these communities opportunity and means mm. to lift themselves up. The first yeah. word in community safety is community. Right. And yeah. thank you for saying that because I was just, I circled <laughs> that on my page. I was going to write back. I said, this sounds like a very community driven it is. kind of it thing is that needs to be it addressed. Yeah. And, uh, and so thank you for saying that. Yeah. Um, guys, we're going to have to end, unfortunately. Right. But, Louis, why don't we, why don't we say, uh, why don't we have you back on the show maybe in six months or so? Let's sure. see how things are going. Let's, Let's give, give another report update. Card says. That's yes. right. All right. We'd like to hear that report card. We'd be great <laughs> to have you guys back on and talk about this. Sure. I, I want to say, uh, uh, and thank you to, guy, to you guys for coming in and, and uh, speaking with, to us about this very serious issue uh, in the city. And... Uh, and, and thank you to the for the work that you guys are doing on this as well. Thank you for allowing it's us to much be here. needed. So uh, we can do that. thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. So you've been listening to Moment of Truth. I'm your host David Moses, and uh, you've been listening in Toronto and Ottawa. Be sure to stay tuned for Moment of Truth again. Thanks for listening. I also want to say Nyawa Miigwech Wanishi and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Bruce Barber, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa Miigwech and thanks for listening. <laughs>